Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. Gymnastics has always been a huge part of Stephanie Morehouse's life. In fact, for a long time, it was simply her life. She started the sport when she was just four years old in a talent ID program at five and made her first Australian team by the time she was 12. Steph was a Commonwealth Games gold medalist, won bronze at the World Championships and competed at the Athens Olympics. But behind all the sequins, leotards and gravity-defying moves, there's an ugly side of the sport. The recent Human Rights Commission investigation into Gymnastics Australia didn't make for easy reading and has rocked the sport to its core. For Steph, she was just seven when the body shaming began and in a sport where you hit your peak and then retire by the time you're 18, life after sport was challenging. But Steph is now using her experience to create positive and powerful change through her business, You Find Your Balance, which is all about empowering and supporting young females. And her story begins as an energetic kid growing up in Melbourne. Little Steph, she was energetic. (laughs) Um, She was a little pocket rocket, I think, from a very young age. (laughs) Were you little? Because you were a gymnast, but were you always little? I was little and I've got this great photo that I've been looking back on recently and there's a line of gymnasts and I'm at the very end of the line. We're in height order and I'm definitely the shortest and I've got my (laughs) great little pot belly on me at the age of five, (laughs) my strong little muscly legs. Um, But I was, yeah, energetic and pretty daring, I think. Like mum says that I used to always, you know, She'd turn around, I'd be at the top of the playground and you know, people were like, oh my gosh, what is she doing? But I think it was, yeah, just in my in my genes that I just, yeah, was really sort of daring from the start mm. and um, yeah, really, really bubbly, I think. Sporty, obviously then, like you're a daring kid, athletic kid. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely sporty. Um, I think my mum is probably the most unsporty person you'll ever meet right. and my dad is quite sporty. So um, combination, mum hoped that I would become more into music and singing and the art, Um, but I definitely was not interested in that and sport just all the way, any sport, every sport. Um, I tried a lot of sports, but just kept coming back to gymnastics. Um, So let's get into it. How did you get into, because it started very early for you, how did you get into gymnastics? It did start early. So the age of four, I did start uh, the sport. And the main reason my older brother, Nathan, he was doing it at the time. And yeah, just being the little sister, I, I loved my brother, Nathan, and just did whatever he was doing. And he, for people who've met me, I'm not that tall in stature, like you said. <laughs> so I claim I'm five one, but I think it's about five foot and a half. <laughs> and he's over six foot. So he's he continued on gymnastics, but only for a year or so. And I continued on for another 14 years after that. So I think I got into it just because I loved watching him do it and I was active and mum said, great, let's burn some energy. Yeah. And it, it was a really good fit for me at, a, at such a young age. I'm just thinking because my daughter's four. So Perfect. Um, yeah, <laughs> was the gymnastics, was it a bit of how, what was it like? Like it was it a formal gymnastics class or was it a bit like you know, she goes to Ready, Steady, Go where they do different sports all the time. Right. Um, this fun kind of whatever can get energy out of your kids in some kind of formal setting where they can socialise at, at four years old. What what was it? Because it was in the 80s, right? We're both 80s yeah. girls. Yeah. What yeah. was it like? So 
I think, well, I started at the local YMCA just doing movement and learning the foundations of movement, which is, yeah, yeah so important for anything in life. And then I went to a specific gymnastics club, so Jets Gymnastics, where it was a structured gymnastics class. And I just went into a group at the age of four and talent ID'd at five. So <laughs> <laughs> that's when I stepped into, I guess, you know, a really structured gymnastics class. Wow. And um, it took off from there. So yeah, people people find it f- funny when I say mm. that, you know, I was talent ID'd at five, but if I was probably to look at your daughter now at four, I could tell whether, you know, she had the skills and, and attributes to be a good gymnast. So things yeah. like confidence, um, you know, being prepared to run down a vault strip or jump into the pit <laughs> and not be scared or, you know, have that strong body type and um, all these sorts of things. Even look at the parents and say, hey, you look, you know, you're not, dad's pretty tall, but mum's pretty short. So, okay. That, that should work. Yeah, <laughs> And yeah. all these little bits and pieces. So, um, yeah, definitely started, it starts really young and I think it's, it's such a unique sport in that way. So where did that fearlessness that you had at an early age, where did that come from? I think, I honestly think you need to be born with it. I think it's such a mental part of sport and part of particularly gymnastics and a lot of talented athletes and talented gymnasts drop out of the sport because the fear just gets too much for them. Um, And they might be able to, you know, the coaches believe in them and they can do it, but the fear is just, yeah, it's too much. So, I mean, I started working with a sports psychologist from about the age of 10, 11, 12 um, to work on the mental side of things because it is, yeah, it is really full on. And, but I think you definitely, you either sort of have that mental game or you don't. And that really sees athletes through whether they can make it to the top or not. Do you remember the first time you fell or you had a bad injury or a flip didn't work out? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I've got this great video of uh, I think I was about 10, 9 or 10, and I was at a national competition and I was swinging around the bar and one hand came off and... That was not the plan. And so my body spun around in all sorts of directions and landed half on the bar and then splat on the mat. But wow. at the time, you sort of just, and that's what makes a good gymnast and, and someone who can push through those times is you get up and you sort of shake it off and, and try again. And something that the coaches make you do is sort of get up there as quick as you can and try to do it again so that you're not scared of it or you're not sort of waiting a week before you try it again because then it can really, the fear can can kick in. So yeah, definitely a few good um, stacks along the way, that's for sure. Were you exposed to many gymnasts when you were little in terms of in, um, we didn't have social media back then, we didn't have yeah. very few channels on the TV back then, but, um, yeah. but yeah, did you know about any of the famous gymnasts or anything like that? I think, um, you know, in the early years, it was just the Melbourne-based gymnasts. Um, I had my heroes, you know, Trudy McIntosh, who was sort of a cycle above me and she was a a smaller, more powerful gymnast, so similar body type. So I really looked up to her. And then as I got closer to the top, obviously started watching all the international competitions and, you know, admiring. I always looked up to the the athletes that were the strong, powerful ones. Um, and yeah, but I think, I think it's really good to have those role models in your life. But I think we're not, a, gymnastics is not a sport where it's you know, super <laughs> popular unless it's the Olympic Games where it's one of the most watched sports. So um, 
I'm I'm grateful that there wasn't social media around. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> in a way, um, when I was competing, um, it definitely has its strengths, but it it's really tough for athletes as well. So why is um, that? Are you glad? I'm glad because you have enough internal pressure on yourself. You you have enough going on, let alone people watching you or commenting that don't even know you or know what's going on behind the scenes. And I think having worked with athletes recently and, and um, reflecting now, that's so tough, so tough. You've already got so much pressure that you want to do well. Um, you don't mean to stuff up if you stuff up. And there's people with social media, it can be so great and so powerful for you and your brand, but at times it can be really tough the other way. So um, I I am grateful that it wasn't around. And you're elite yeah. so young in gymnastics as well. Yeah, you're not yeah, like exactly. in your 20s as an elite swimmer and having had, you know, a lot of time to be able to process and learn from social media and learn from other people's mistakes, I suppose. Exactly. Um, you are really young yeah. and so you don't have those life experiences either and looking at bigger picture and all those sorts of things that come into play when it when it comes to social media these days, definitely. So you were talent ID'd at five. I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking that's when it got serious. And what does serious mean and what did serious look like? So... Talent I did at five meant that I stepped into a more structured squad that uh, I guess the coaches saw something in me yeah. um, and I continued to sort of, I guess, pick up the hours in training. So I think the reason why gymnasts do quite a lot of hours, so at my peak, um, I was doing probably 35 to 40 hours a week. And peak is what age? About 15, 16, 17. Yeah. Yeah, the younger years I was still um, doing, you know, sort of 15 or so hours. Yeah. And um, it just sort of continued on from there. So training before school, training after school and and fitting everything else for life <laughs> in between mm. all of that. So it's a real juggle, definitely. What about at five when it became more structured? How many hours were you doing then? How many training sessions? Uh, probably two or three a week. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, it picks up pretty quickly. <laughs> it picks up pretty <laughs> <I reckon>. quickly, <laughs> wow. and um, it's a real, it's a real sport where you know your, your family has to be involved. I can't physically get there at the age of five and six. Yeah, so, um, and even my whole career, I couldn't drive to training. So yeah. my parents are driving me every day, and um, yeah, the hours pick up pretty quick, and you it gets serious pretty quick. Yeah, and I think you don't realize at the time because you're in the middle of it and you're really enjoying it, but. Yeah, when I, I first represented Australia at the age of 12, oh, so yeah. to get to that point, it, yeah, it moves pretty quick. You alluded to this photograph earlier and I saw it up on your um, Instagram of you when you were seven years old in this line of, of gymnasts um, and you were really, really, really small then. But you said when you were seven years old that you were told that you were too big for gymnastics and that your bum was too big for gymnastics as a seven-year-old. Can you Take us there and just expand on on what happened and how you felt at the time as a seven-year-old being told that. Yeah, I think, as I said at the start, I didn't have what you would call a typical, at the time, a typical body shape for gymnastics. Um, I did have a bottom. <laughs> I did have legs and I did have a belly and all these sorts of things. Was you seven? And seven. I was only seven, yeah. Um, and I think... The day that I got put on my report card that um, 
you know, my bottom was too big um, was, I guess at seven, you don't, I didn't really realise what was going on. Um, I don't really realise the conversation, the conversation where that's led, but my parents were onto that <laughs> and my dad was not happy and and made sure that the, that the program and the coaches were aware that that was not okay. Yeah. What because, program and what coaches was that? What level are we talking about? Um, so I was in Melbourne, based in Melbourne, um, and it was in a high-performance program, which no longer runs a high-performance program. So, um, yeah, I think I was very lucky and grateful that I have parents and had parents that would stand up and not take that kind of conversation at that age. And that's what I say now is that not everyone has that and everyone has a different environment, different world. And while I took that okay at the time and my parents were onto it, um, not everyone has that. So it can really affect people long-term with those sorts of comments. So that's why, um, you know, I look back now, I'm like, hey, my strong bottom got me there. (laughs) My strong legs got me there. And that's what mum and dad and my support team around me you know, in the older years, that's what they said to me. They say, you, that's that's your gift. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you didn't have those strengths, then you wouldn't be able to get the power that you that you get. But at the time when you're young, you're like, oh, I don't, I don't think that's quite right. But um, yeah, yeah, my parents were onto it. <laughs> um, it's concerning though that there are coaches that could look at a seven year old and think that and say that though, isn't it? It is. Um, I think, and the the days and the times that we're in now, it's even more, more at the forefront. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, this was, yeah, 20 or so years ago and the the behaviours that went on then, um, you know, some haven't changed as we've seen <laughs> recently, but it's it's at the forefront and the conversation and, and more people are saying, hey, that's not okay. Um, that, that could have long-term effects on her and it's not okay for her mental health, I guess, as well. So um, more people are saying, hang on a minute, that we need to change that conversation. Um, I find it a very interesting topic of just what the ideal body shape for a gymnast was considered then and maybe considered now because looking back, it seems like Nadia Kamenichi, she was so small. She was 14 when she had that perfect 10 and so skinny. And then, you know, look at Simone Biles and Mm. completely different, really. And I look at all the, um, is it the UCLA gymnasts that are always mm-hmm. on Instagram and they're just um, the college gymnasts over in the US and they're just so strong and powerful mm-hmm. and different mm-hmm. body shapes. For you, when you were growing up, um, what was the ideal body shape and then did that change through your time or how have you seen that change? I think the change came from yeah, probably from the Nadia years where there was this gymnast that was so petite and successful. So that kind of started the conversation and the supposedly good ideal body type. Um, As I said, you are lifting yourself in the air. You are flipping around. And when you're pushing the boundaries on what the body can do in that aspect, you do have to be fit. You do have to be strong. There's no doubt about that. Um, But I think the ideal body shape before was quite lean. It was quite petite and tiny. Um, but that's definitely changed in Simone Biles is <laughs> showing that that is not the case now and you need to be strong, you need to have muscles, you need to be able to have that power. However, I think there are some coaches and some environments where they still are thinking from the old times and that there's still that, 
that's the kind of gymnast that you need, yet they're not the ones that are winning gold medals on the world stage. So we need to look at who, who who's winning those medals and, and that's the body type and the, the skills that we need to be able to, um, I guess, for Australia, get back to the top as well. So did you feel that pressure at an early age to be that, that petite, small, you know, being told at seven that your bum was too big? Was that yeah. what it was like during your time? Did I feel pressure? Definitely. Um, I think you're in a sport where you're judged every single day. You're looked at every single day. You're wearing leotards every single day. You're on show. It's a sport you're on show every day. And um, definitely when you don't have um, or you have even just little comments like that made along the way, it's always in the back of your mind. But while I could control my nutrition plan and I can control things that I could control, I couldn't really change my body <laughs> shape. I was never going to be a tall, lean gymnast with these elegant lines that they say in gymnastics. Um, so I sort of had to accept that, okay, that's one conversation, but I'm going to step over this conversation and show you what I can do with my my body type. And um, I think, yeah, my mental game came into play a lot then. I was pretty tough. I was a pretty tough um, athlete and, and gymnast and I pushed through some, yeah, tough times for sure. But um, I think I'm very passionate about that topic of, you know, body type and making sure that the athletes feel confident in themselves because if they're not feeling confident and they're getting told silly things, <laughs> then they're not going to perform well. So we've got to make sure that they're feeling good and feeling happy with themselves um, and then they'll be able to perform. So to me, it's, it's yeah, it's a no-brainer that, that, that there's that nice relationship between being healthy and happy and then having a good performance. So. Yeah, I think having a, the team around me that I had at the time definitely got me through some challenging times and challenging conversations. Um, skin folds? How often were you having skin fold tests and being weighed and all of that kind of stuff? Skin folds for me, um, they were part of the sport at that time um, where we weighed. Yes, we were weighed and, you know, it is, it is, you need to keep track of, like I said, you're lifting yourself in the air, you do need to keep track of where your body weight ratio is at. Um, but probably from a young age, we were weighed too much, I think. Um, and I think um, probably like once a week when you're sort of 10, 11, 12, you don't need to be weighed <laughs> once a week. There's stories that people weighed a lot more than that, but I didn't have those experiences. I had quite, you know, positive experiences as a whole. But I think um, it, you have to make sure that the athlete and that they have the education as well around that. So know why they're getting weighed or have the dietitian there working through nutrition plan if they need to. Um, but just people putting people on scales and, and not explaining everything or, or having that consent, then that's where it can get, um, yeah, I think not fair and not the right direction that we need to go. We know a lot more about the gymnastics Australia and, and globally environment and the culture now because of the Human Rights Report, which was just released. And we'll go into detail about that before. But what was the culture like for you and what did you experience? We're hearing stories about how, you know, people being forced into splits on boxes and then an adult forcing their, their, their putting their whole weight on them and forcing them down. Is that the kind of thing that you experienced during, during your time or how difficult, how tough, how maybe even cruel, could we say that, was that intensive training? It's really hard to um, reflect and think about 
the things that I've been hearing lately and seeing in the reports and, and the conversations going on because a lot of those behaviours and things that are written down or spoken about, yes, like that is what, what we did as part of our training. We mm. did do stretching. The coaches did stretch us. Yeah, there's there's things that I guess when you were going through the motions you thought were okay and people around you and that was what worldwide, this is, this is a worldwide conversation. Um, that's what has been going on. But I think in 2021, we look at the type of behaviours and type of coaching styles that we have to do things differently now. It's not the 1960s, it's 2021. So that's where I come from. And yes, we look back on things. I'm like, oh gosh, okay, that maybe, yeah, that, that happened to me. Um, it is, it does give you um, some scary feelings. Scary is probably the right word, but make you reflect and go, oh gosh, was I treated badly? Was I um, abused in a way? But I never think that from my experience in the sport, um, which maybe that's a conversation in itself. So the behaviours and the, the, the style of coaching now needs to be innovative. We need to move with the times. And I think the sport is still doing coaching styles from years ago where um, we need to be using the research around us, the sports science around us, all these amazing things that we have now to better our athletes. So, yeah, it's been a really hard time, I think, for the sport um, globally and in Australia and for athletes of all levels and everyone involved. Um, I think now I'm a parent now, so reading it from um, a parent's perspective, um, you know, I have quite a few different hats on. I, I was an athlete in that time and going through those experiences, I have, you know, stepped out of the sport and worked in other sports and seen how other coaches do it. Um, I've worked in the community level in gymnastics. I've worked at state level and national level. So I see it from a, a quite a few different uh, directions and it's quite unique to have those many, um, that many different views on it. But yeah, it's been really tough to kind of, yeah, go through this journey of the time of the sport at the moment. But I think it's needed. When they stretched you out, were they stretching you on the box or what What um, other examples were there? Yeah, that's, that's, that's why when I read the reports, um, that was so normal. <laughs> it was so normalised. So we would sit on a box and we'd do the splits and the coach would sit on you. Or uh, another stretching style was that you'd um, like do side splits. So your legs would be in splits and you'd be laying on your back and you'd have the weights hang off your legs. So like a five kilo or 10 kilo hang off each leg. So, um, yeah, they were stretching styles that were used at the time. I don't think they're used these days. Um, but yeah, that was, I guess, yeah, the style of stretching that was used throughout my, yeah, gymnastics career. Do they still use them to this day? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I know there's a lot of work being done currently around the stretching styles and mm. um, even just simple things like we used to get a, a massage done before training just to loosen our muscles, um, mm. which was like my favourite part. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It got me feeling really good, ready for training. Yeah. Um, but that's not now allowed either. So it, we're, we're having those conversations, things are heading in the right direction, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Is there anything that you look back on? Like you said, I guess it was so normalised for you back then. Um, but was there anything that on, you know, in 2021 perspective, you look back on and just think, oh my gosh, we did that? Uh, I think 
just probably around, for me, my highest part was around the body types and the body, Mm -hmm. um, I guess, shaming if we want to use that word, Mm -hmm. but um, the constant conversations that if you, and I'm talking about the very top now, so these conversations are going on at the moment are from a variety of levels and all sorts of, um, you know, environments. But for me, you know, if you didn't make it through a routine and you fell on your bottom, it was because a lot of the time you were too heavy or, uh, you know, have you seen the nutritionist lately or dietitian rather than, hey, I'm actually really tired. We've just done 30 hours a week. So um, those sort of things, uh, I, I had a lot of conversation in my training around um, used to drive me nuts. <laughs> so everything came back to your weight at the end of the day. A lot of my conversations came back to my weight, but um, that's not everyone. So for me, you know, that's why I worked so closely with my sports psychologist and my dietitian, and I had the people around me, the experts who were experts in those areas to, um, and my parents to make sure I stayed on track. And I've got friends who, you know, maybe don't have that support around them and did go the wrong direction and, and behaviours now that are still because of their experiences and that was, that's what makes me really sad um, that I feel like I came out of the sport quite lucky in a way and I say to my husband now, I'm like, I'm, you're lucky, <laughs> you know. I've come out with, you know, I don't like to do things. I think the, the thing that I don't like to do now is I still feel like, um, say I go to a footy game, I love my footy, and I buy some hot chips. <laughs> I get my husband to hold the hot chips walking through the crowd because I feel like I can't hold them because I feel like people are looking at me and judging me for <laughs> the food I'm holding because we're in environments and you're traveling the world or you're at camps and, you know, you are being watched of what, what you're putting in your body, even if it's healthy, that is sort of keeping an eye on you. So that's the only thing that <laughs> sticks with me now that, um, I, I chen- tend to let my husband hold the hold the hot chips wow. and footy, um, yeah. but so deep down it's still ingrained. Yeah, in you. yeah. But that's I think for some people that's that's a very small right. thing. There's yeah. a lot of other friends and athletes that there's some things that are big bigger than that. So um, I'm quite grateful to just have that little funky thing I call it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Um, a lot of people talking about there was even things that were like being strapped to bars and being forced to train through injuries and things like that. Was that your experience as well? I never had extreme experiences like that. Um, Going into the 2004 Olympic Games, I had a stress fracture in my foot. But even if the coach said to me, Steph, you need to rest, we're pulling you out, I would have said, no way, like I'm going. So there is a really... There is a conversation there that um, it comes across sometimes like that. But the athletes at the top, we are tough people. And if you said to me, you're sitting down having a rest, I probably would have told you no. (laughs) So it it goes both ways. Um, Going to an Olympic Games with a stress fracture was my decision as well. So um, it wasn't being forced upon me, but why would I not go? I could push through it. So why could I, you know, I could rest later on. (laughs) In 2002, the Commonwealth Games in Manchester, you were 15 it was a huge moment because you walked away with a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games. Um, what do you remember about that meet? And can you take me back to how you were feeling then and how big a moment that was? I think for me, I mean, I just love sport. And so that was my first team where I wasn't just part of 
gymnastics team. I was part of a, a bigger thing. Um, and being 15 and at year 10 in school, yeah, you just sort of go through the motions and there's so much stress and pressure internally, but also externally to perform well that when you're there in the moment, you can't really enjoy it as much as, like I look back now and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I would love to go to another Commonwealth Games and really take it in and enjoy the experience. But when you're there, you just want to do a good job and you're so focused on recovery and everything you're doing day to day that, um, yeah, it's it's really, <laughs> really unique experience, I guess, at that age. Um, but to be able to walk away with the gold medal uh, and have my parents there, yeah, it's really special. I still, I still, you know, I guess get emotional about it and get goosebumps because, yeah, it's just so special and so you don't realise at the time how, what you're doing and the opportunities that come from that as well, if if you would like them. Um, yeah, you don't realise at the time, but yeah, wow, it's still, yeah. <laughs> and you're so young, I guess. Yeah. Like when you're 15 and 16, like it's hard to, you're right, you're so focused on trying to do a good job that mm, can't mm. take it in and you don't yet have that maturity, do you, to be able to appreciate a moment when it's, when you're in it? Yeah, I don't think so. And I think, you know, I started travelling the world from the age of 12 by myself because when you travel, by yourself. I wasn't with my parents. Wow. Um, <laughs> I was with my coaches and my team manager and my teammates and yeah. my physio probably. Yeah. So in a way, you have to grow up so quickly and your life skills in that way, uh, you have to be so mature. Um, but socially, you know, <laughs> I was a bit behind because I wouldn't be out doing normal teenage things. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but then to be a 15-year-old, year 10 student on the podium winning a gold medal, it's um, – yeah, those life experiences not many people get to have. So that was, yeah, pretty pretty special time. Could you get that balance of being a kid but still training so intensely as you were? Um, could you get that balance or is it something, how do you reflect on that kind of balance? And, um, and in a way, you know, giving up, you did incredible things and got to travel the world and represent your country, but there was a part of your childhood that you had to to give up. How do you reflect mm. on that? Is there, what feelings are yeah, there? Yeah, I think I talk about this a little bit um, with friends and family these days. Um, and I think because I achieved what I wanted to in the sport, I think I look back on it really positively um, and think that all the sacrifices were worth it. I think there's definitely friends out there that maybe didn't achieve what they wanted to, so they look back on it very differently. Yeah, yeah. I think it took a lot of planning, a lot of effort to make sure you kept the balance because it was so easy to just train and just go to school and do nothing else and just that's all your focus is. But uh, sport only lasts so long and you don't know what is around the corner. So Again, back to my parents that were really, you know, switched on and supportive to make sure that, okay, I didn't go to every party or I didn't go to every get together, but I would definitely try and go to some so that I had a life outside gymnastics and a life in gymnastics. And I think we see athletes these days that maybe put all the eggs in one basket and if things are going to plan, it's it's so much harder to work through that and get through that and and that transition out of sport as well if you don't have that the balance in life as an athlete in life, um, yeah, out of sports. So really hard to do, but really, really important to do well. 
So 2003 and 2004, massive years for your career. 2003 World Championships, bronze. How big a moment was that? The first Australian mm-hmm. team to do so? Is that right? At the World yes. Championships? Yeah. That I think is probably one of the best and biggest times or moments, I think, of my career and the sport in Australia. Um, I think at, at the time, um, we've had a couple of big moments since then, but finishing third at a world championships for Australia, you know, you're, you're beating some of the Eastern European countries, um, China, we beat China. So we didn't beat America, but that's, <laughs> they're, they're dominating. Um, but that was huge for the sport in Australia. And just to show that, hey, we are, we are serious. We are, we are okay over here. <laughs> um, that was pretty, pretty massive. And, you know, people say, what's better that or your Commonwealth Games gold medal? Um, I think, in Australia, in general population, would say my Commonwealth Games gold medal. But to me, deep down, and and the gymnastics world, definitely that World Championships medal was was really really special. And that sure. led into your first Olympics, a stress yeah. fracture going in. What are your memories yeah. of that first Olympics in Athens? That was a really tough year. Um, I think I was mentally pretty done with the sport in a really? way. Why is that? Just it's full on. It's really full on. Um, at that point in time, so my Olympic year was my year 12 year at school. And um, the like I said, the whole puzzle that needs to go together. So my nutrition, my body, keeping my body going, um, you know, not being able to go to all those social things and just so many things. My family sacrificing holidays and, you know, I was, I was pretty done by then. Um, but I was so close to making an Olympic team and, and that was one of my, you know, my ultimate goals. So I pushed through and um, my coach that year, my main coach, he had an, a bicycle accident. So he wasn't able to coach me that year. So I had to step into another training group, which um, was a challenge in itself as well. So I had to work through that. And yeah, I think being, um, or having the opportunity to represent Australia at Olympic Games in gymnastics is is so hard. <laughs> it's something that I'm so proud of more now than at the time. Um, and at the time, it was just so full on and, yeah, an amazing experience. But again, when you're in the whirlwind of Olympics and you're in the village and there's just <laughs> kind of controlled chaos everywhere, um, yeah, and there's just so much pressure that, as a 17-year-old, you just sort of want to get through it at the time. You really do. You just want to get through it. Okay, this is my last day of training. Get through this competition. I'm nearly there. I'm nearly there. Yeah. Could you soak it in, learn like you could two years prior at the Common Games? I don't think so. I don't yeah. think I soaked it in enough at all. And it's, um, you know, a shame that I couldn't do more Olympics. I'd lo- like love to go again and um, and soak it in in a different way or just be that little bit older and an athlete where you do, you have that life experience or those bigger picture, um, you know, frame of mind that you can look at things differently. But I appreciate it more now. Did you know then that that was going to be your last major yes. international event? You knew? Yeah, I tried to keep going um, after Olympic Games. We had the World Championships that year or the following year were in Melbourne, Australia, and then the 2006 Commonwealth Games were coming up and there was a lot going on in Melbourne but I just, I was so done um, and I tried to keep going and I just, yeah, I just couldn't. I was, I was grateful and satisfied with what I'd done in the sport and to then reset goals and, and keep pushing through the, uh, the, you know, the training and 
Mentally or physically or both? Definitely both. Um, if I wanted to do it, I could, I could get my body to a position where I could, even though it was pretty sore. Um, but mentally, you've got to be pretty motivated to push through and, and keep going. And that's why the gymnasts now, they've done two Olympics. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. It's next level for a gymnast to be able to do two Olympic Games. I was about to say, at what age are you at your peak or considered your peak as a gymnast? And what was it like when you were in the sport? Has it changed now? I think, so I was 17 at the Olympics and I was, so I retired when I was 18 and I was the oldest athlete in my gym at the time. Um, so you're peaking 16, 17, Wow, Is that still the case? Now the athlete's a little bit older, so probably peaking around 20-ish <laughs> as a female athlete. So uh, there'll be a lot of athletes um, at, at the Olympic Games that are in their early 20s for sure. Um, so it has changed, um, and I think that's a really great thing for our sport. But I also think that, um, yeah, it needed to change. But at my time, um, yeah, I was 17, and that, and that was definitely sort of the peak for the sport. So you've talked before about how challenging you found that tr- transition from being an elite athlete at such an early age, 18. The challenging times it is mm. for any female or any person. But take us there. Why did you find that transition so challenging? I think transition for elite athletes is, it's not something that you you get through or you just go through it for 12 months. I honestly think it's taken me 10 years to transition properly into the real world, if you call it the real world. Um, I think your life and everything you do day in, day out, everything you put in your mouth, everything you're, every conversation or thing that you're doing is towards this huge goal and for 14 years, I was Steph the gymnast. At school, I was Steph the gymnast. I would go out and people would be like, oh, Steph, how's gym? Or everything was about gym. And then to not have that, that was really tough. Um, and nothing will ever compare to the adrenaline, the pressure, the excitement of walking to a stadium at the Olympic Games. And I think I was trying to chase that for a long time and I think athletes try to chase that that excitement and adrenaline. How did you chase that? How were you chasing that? So I would just try so many different things. I would so I went to university and I did my uh, Bachelor of Business Sport Management degree and then I started working in events and I was still in the sport world but I was just sitting in the office doing administration and events and that wasn't cutting it for me. <laughs> um, and I'd see the athletes, I was working in AFL and I'd see the athletes out on the ground and I'm like, oh God, just, just miss doing that. Um, so I went back to university. I'm like, okay, maybe it's, maybe I need to do more studies. So I did my Bachelor of Exercise Sports Science and maybe I need to work in, in that area. And I just kept trying all these different roles. Um, and at the time people were like, oh, Steph, what are you doing now? Like in a negative way. And that really, really got to my confidence, I think. Um, And a lot of athletes really struggle with that. And when I see athletes potentially on the news or in magazines that have, you know, hit rock bottom, I don't look at them in a negative way. I look at them and say, oh, they're struggling with transition. And just getting through that and having a team around you. And for me, it was trying different things and, and finding different passions that, and also accepting that you're not going to find anything that's ever as good as being at Olympic Games for me. That was one part of my life and that's okay. And then this is now another part of my life. So accepting that is a huge part to 
yeah, getting through that transition phase. It's so hard when you have that so young, you know, like people chase that kind of high and that adrenaline their whole life. But when you've had it, when you're really, really young, and then you move on to something else without having, like you said, needed to almost close the door on that and mm. step across the hallway to another job or another role or some new part of your life, I suppose. So how did you, did you go see a, another psychologist? Was there anything from Gymnastics Australia or anything to help you in that transition? I think um, I'm grateful that it's a young sport because in a way I could do my sport when I was at home with my family. I finished and then I could move on with my life and, and step into a job and study where the sports would have to juggle you know, family life and jobs and all these sorts of things, I don't know how they do it. That's a whole nother <laughs> level in itself. So I sort of am grateful in a way that I got to go to Olympic Games when I was 17, achieved that amazing goal and then moved on. Um, there was support at the time for probably, I would say maybe 12 or so months. Um, I'm quite proactive at reaching out to people. So I would definitely reach out if I needed support. But where I come from now is um, very passionate about well-being for athletes, and we need people looking out for athletes past twelve months, <laughs> a lot longer. Um, it takes a long time. It's not twelve months and, and you're okay and you're fitting back into the world and you've got your new identity. It, it takes a lot longer than that mm. for sure. What about body image? That's something you've spoken up. I've seen on your social media before about you know life is after being an elite athlete, and you talk about the chips even to this day having <laughs> to get your husband <laughs> to hold those, but how did your relationship with your body change um, after you finished gymnastics? I think um, it took time. Um, it is something that my confidence uh, was in a way, <laughs> you know, not smashed, not that dramatic, but it was really hurt in a way that um, I had to work through it and did use, again, kept seeing my sports psychologist for quite a while after I finished gymnastics. Um, I think when you're training 35, 40 hours a week to then not training at all, <laughs> your body is going to change. And accepting that is a, is a big part of it. And I went through a phase where it was really hard to accept. Um, I was, had really low confidence and yeah, hard to work through those times. And if you're not accepting or, you know, loving your own body, then you know, that shows and, and it affects all your other experiences um, and relationships as well. So getting to a point where, you know, it takes a couple of years for your body to even out and, and find it's normal again, because training 35, 40 hours a week is not normal. Since you're five. Yeah. Yeah. So your body, um, I went through puberty, so I hadn't really gone through puberty. I was going to ask that question. <laughs> I've, I forgot to ask it before, but I'm really yeah. interested in, because I've known a few gymnasts and they didn't go through puberty or elite mm. athletes at an early age. Mm. Did you go through puberty and how did your body change as a gymnast? Yeah, so I think my body and everyone has a different journey. Um, for my body, I hadn't gone through puberty, puberty yet. So When you retired, um, you hadn't gone through puberty? No, so <gasps> pretty much as soon as I retired, you know, I stopped training that many hours and exercise and everything like that. So puberty kicked in pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you got your well, period for the first time? Yeah, first time. My boobs grew uh, Yeah, <laughs> very quickly, which yeah. I have a real laugh about now. Um, and just everything hit me. And so it was dealing with not only just a general transition in life, but also your body. Um, and so it took me a couple of years to adjust to that. And it could have been really easy to 
you know, go down the wrong path and do behaviours that maybe um, I've seen friends, um, I guess, partake in. But for me, that wasn't an option. And I was pretty grounded with, okay, just let's get through this. Um, and I look back on it now that it was, it was really hard, but I'm at a, I'm at a really good point now with my body and I'm confident, but it's taken a, a long time to, you know, push through for 15 years, you're being judged, um, you're being watched, you're being, you know, I guess compared to then be in a life where that's not realistic and that actually can really affect you long-term. So you've got to realize that that's, um, I guess a phase of life and, and now, getting through that phase and, and being more self-confident in my own self and not comparing myself and, um, yeah, being happy with my body is, yeah, it's been a journey, but I'm, I'm in a good place now. I just want to go back and talk about, because I think it's really important because it's very pertinent at the moment, not just in gymnastics, but in all sport. And that's, you know, effectively that in the last year and a half, the, you know, the doors to the gymnastics environment and culture have really been flung open for the first time. We're learning a lot about what gymnasts and elite gymnasts um, had to go through at that elite level for decades. And you've, you know, revealed some really interesting stuff um, to us here on this podcast. And the documentary Athlete A really did that, you know, giving um, eyes into what was going on in the US gymnastics scene, that then sparked an independent review in Australia from Gymnastics Australia, from the Human Rights Commission who did that. Um, that's only, that report's only just been handed down. Were you surprised at the findings or what was your reaction to those findings? I think um, reading that report was pretty emotional for me. I think as I've mentioned earlier, I have quite a few different hats on when I read it and I look into this environment and everything that's going on at the moment. As a past athlete, when I was reading those things, I'm like, yes, that is a lot of it. <laughs> How we were coached and trained. Um, does that mean I've been abused? Oh, I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> um, so there's all those emotions going on. And then there's emotions where, um, like I said, I stepped out of the sport and I saw great, you know, in different ways of coaching and different environments that, and then I came back into the sport. So I had that perspective. Um, then, you know, I wanted to step back in and help the elite sport and gymnastics in particular in the last couple of years. So I stepped back in and in a community, at a community level, uh, at a state level and national level, I've been involved with them all. And so I came with those views and it, it's really complex. There's so much involved in, in this conversation. Like I said, this is a worldwide culture for the sport. Um, yeah, it's it's really hard because some of those things I read, that, that is what goes on. So we need to change those behaviours and change the times and, and educate a lot more. And I think it's going to take some pretty big leaders, um, a lot of courage to almost do a <laughs> almost do what AFL football does and say, oh, we're doing a re <laughs> restructure or, a, you know, rebuild. And let's just step back and really rebuild this sport so that our athletes, when they leave the sport or their experience in the sport, are not affecting them the way they have been long-term. And uh, like I said, I had friends and athletes from 20 years ago calling me in the last 12 months saying, Steph, you know, can you help me in some way? Or I need support. So we can't have those things happening 
and we're not the only sport for sure. But I think it's in my, from my perspective, I'm glad that this conversation has come to, you know, the forefront of sport and, and the well-being for our athletes because, yeah, there's been behaviours that are not good enough and that need to change. But th- there are some people who are doing some really great things. So it's keeping that in mind at the same time. But there's still some old school behaviours that we need to address for sure. You've talked about, um, you know, about weight and body image and that focus on weight all the time and the, the culture surrounding the gymnasts and the weight. What other things did you read in the report or you heard about from former gymnasts that you were glad were being exposed because, you know, they were toxic or dangerous and, and need to be addressed? I think for me personally, the main one is around the body shaming um, and the style of coaching that, you know, the numbers we have to do, the hours that we're doing, the all those sorts of things that maybe we don't need to do it that way anymore. Um, and a lot of the athletes that uh, are speaking up now, which I'm so grateful that they are and amazing courage to speak up. It takes a lot of, yeah, a lot of courage to do that, especially when you come from a sport where <laughs> you are told what to do all the time um, and not given a voice very much <laughs> throughout the process. So I think those sorts of things um, really stand out for me. So making sure that, that um, you know, the power of the coach relationship changes because it is a quite an authoritarian authoritarian um, sport where the power of the coach and you're so young, so you, you do what your coach tells you to do and, and your coach is is amazing, like the best person in your life. You spend almost more time with your coach than you do with your parents. So the role model and the power that they have as a role model for you, I think they forget sometimes and, and the influence that they have on your life. So those sorts of conversations and those sorts of things, I think, we can change quite quickly and there's behaviours that are going to take time and, um, you know, from even higher above than than's already, that's already um, being done to actually, yeah, move forward and um, make sure that people in our sport are having an experience that they want to look back on and they want to be involved again because there's so many athletes that don't want to come back to the sport, they don't want to be involved and that's really sad. Because how does it change? Because, I mean, the report, reflected on decades worth of this culture and you've alluded there's still elements of people in the sport at different levels who do coach this way so how can how can the sport move on and make sure that you know those past mistakes aren't repeated how do you change a culture that has been embedded for Mm. decades Mm. it's hard and it's going to take time Uh, I think any culture in I guess any even an organization to change it takes time but it takes leadership and it takes courage. I think even our leaders at the moment, whether it's, you know, at community level, because the sport's so club-based now, so we're not so institute-based. Um, it's federated model. So a lot of the gymnastics clubs are businesses, so they need business. Mm, yeah. <laughs> they might do this is whatever it takes to get their business going. So um, I think it takes some serious courage from the top and people to prioritize not necessarily the now but the future of these athletes and this sport so the leaders sometimes just care about the now they want the results now we've got an olympic games in three months they want whatever it takes to get results now um but we need someone to think bigger than that and and think about put the well-being as a higher priority than it currently is 
This is something, well-being is something that you're very passionate about. You were, you know, you did well-being at Gymnastics Australia and now you've moved on to having your own business with another former gymnast as well. But can you explain to us, um, and it's something that you, we can hear it, that you're so passionate about, about being, helping um, gymnasts and, and young people and being that, that role model for them. What was your passion? Explain your business, your passion behind it and what drives you so much in this role. So my business with my teammate, uh, Ashley Brennan, uh, Find My Balance, is it's all about creating that conversation and creating that awareness around body confidence and self-confidence. I think, like I said, for us just talking about it and reaching out to people, it, it helped us a lot get through those pretty, ch- pretty challenging times. And I think even if you're an athlete or not, going through teenage years as a female, going through puberty, social media, it's pretty brutal these days. It's really tough. So throw on top of that an elite sport and a sport like gymnastics in particular, it just double <laughs> double whammies it. So we spend a lot of time, yeah, mentoring and, and running workshops and programs to just help girls think about themselves differently um, and think give themselves confidence. So it came from a place where Ashley and I, I guess it is from our experiences as athletes, um, being in a sport where, yeah, you're sort of told what to do for 15 years and that really does sort of <laughs> affect your confidence in all areas of life. So I've worked pretty hard to push through that and come out quite self-confident and, and confident in my own body. But it's really, really tough. So um, I think it's built from my experiences, built from frustration that it's not happening enough these days. And girls are looking up to role models that aren't realistic or they're in these tough environments, in, in gymnastics in particular, that, you know, their body's being scrutinised. So it's just getting them to think about things differently and building their confidence so that they, you know, are confident to take on whatever they want to in their life, whether it's sport or not. When we reflect back on your career and what you're doing now is just amazing with your business, with Ash, um, and you guys are making a real difference out there and I think it's really powerful, the messages that you're, you're sending to little girls out there. Um, we actually got in touch with Ash and we Aww. asked her what inspires her so much about partnering with you and being business partners and friends and former athletes with you. And here's what she uh-huh. had to say. Uh-huh. Steph, just a quick message to let you know how important you are to me. My very first impressions of you when I first met you were that you're very serious. Uh, you were preparing for the 2004 Olympic Games and I was only 11 years old, but I loved your determination and your dedication towards the sport. And you have always been such a huge role model for me. And I learned so much from you. I'm so proud of everything that you've achieved, being a Commonwealth Games gold medalist, a World Championships bronze medalist and an Olympian. But more importantly than that, you're an amazing friend, role model to so many young girls, an incredible wife and an amazing mum to William. So I'm very proud of you. Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's very kind. (laughs) Oh yeah, it's a bit emotional actually. (laughs) Why is that? Um, Oh, Ash and I, yeah, she's, we're very similar people, um, but she, yeah, she's a few years younger than me and I guess we've been great friends for so many years, but I think our, yeah, this business that we're doing, the things we're doing now, it's just so, so special to us and we're so passionate about it and um, I, 
yeah, I really want to just make sure that young females have a positive experience with their life. And I guess don't yeah, have some of the challenges, I guess, that I had from a confidence perspective and experiences that, yeah, were really tough at times. So doing it with Ash, she's an incredible um, woman as well. And she's had her, her own journey and achieved incredible things in the sport. So yeah, very, <laughs> that's very kind of you. <laughs> very special. Um, yeah, we're hopefully, yeah, going to sort of change that conversation and, um, you know, little steps is what I say. It's, it's really tough. It's really tough. And it's, um, I guess running your own business is really tough too. Yeah. <laughs> so there's been some times where, yeah, it's been ups and downs, but I'm very grateful for the, the journey that we're on. So yeah, thank you. Um, you've become a mum recently. Yes. <laughs> um, does it make you reassess and look back on that culture of gymnastics? differently now that you have become a mum? I think it has. Um, so I have a little boy um, and a little, another little on the way. I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, but people do ask me all the time, would I put my child into gymnastics? Mm. And at four? At four. Definitely at four because the foundations and the skills that you learn at that age the coordination, the strength, the mobility, the resilience, all those sorts of things. If you asked me and, you know, if I had a daughter or, or a son and they said at maybe six or seven, I think they're really talented and I think I'd like to put them in the elite squad, if that's the right word. I, at this point in time, would probably have a, have a think about that, which is a bit sad, but for me, I, I look back on my experiences that I've had an amazing journey and the opportunities that have come out of it for me, I'm so grateful for, but it was definitely tough. And so if you don't have that, that great team around you, it can be, it can be a really tough sort of part of time of your life. Um, but in terms of what the sport can offer you in terms of movement and, and skill sets for life, then yeah, definitely those early years, I would put them into it. But if we could say a challenging one, yeah, I can hear it in your voice. You're trying to be diplomatic, but then again, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a little girl, so I feel like a boy and a girl. Like guys, you may have, have one in different. your belly now. I might. If you I did might. have a little girl, if she's a little girl, and you know she had the chance to follow the same path that you followed from you know that elite stage at five onwards to eighteen, would you want that for her, or what would you say to her? I do question it right now, the time in the sport and the experiences that I've even just seen coming back in the sport that need to change. Um, I would absolutely put her into gymnastics, um, but I would, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's a really tough one. <laughs> oh, being an Olympian, it's just such an honour, but the journey is so tough. So I would, well, I would be onto it, so I'd know what's going on. So you're <laughs> analyzing the coaches. Would, and... Yeah, yeah, I'd be onto it, but I think um, I would definitely question it now, which is yeah, a bit sad, but um, understandable yeah, though. You want to do Steph? I reckon that's understandable. Mm, if you think it's mm. sad, I think it's understandable though. Yeah, and given I think, everything that you've seen and experienced and done, and yeah, yeah, and I think as a whole, it's it. I wouldn't like. I don't regret any of it, and I. Yeah, I'm so grateful for what it's done for my life now. Um, but you've got to be pretty, pretty switched on and, and pretty tough to 
to get through it and get to the top, that's for sure. Our final question that we ask everyone is if you go back and tell that little Steph anything, 10-year-old Steph, what would you tell her? I think I would tell her not to care so much about what other people think of her. Um, I think, yeah, being in an environment for that many years where you're always told what to do and you're always trying to impress people with every single thing you do. So you're worried what the coach is thinking or what the national coach is thinking or what the the judges are thinking. Everything in your life, you're trying to impress people. Um, And that continued on post-gymnastics and just worried about what people think of me all the time. And that's that's tough and it's not realistic because it takes its toll. Um, So I think, yeah, not worrying about what other people think. And at the end of the day, most people will probably put themselves first if it came to the crunch. And I care a lot about people and I've been probably hurt and burnt a couple of times in the last few years in particular where I thought people cared about me and when I actually, you know, came to a situation, they would put themselves first. So it's just doing what's right for you and putting yourself as number one, which I don't do very often, but sometimes you have to. And yeah, not worrying about what other people think because mm. who cares what they think? No. <laughs> it's not easy to do. Yeah. Um, Especially if it's, you're right, that. every element of your sport is about what people think mm. that you've mm. been doing since you were four years old, judges, yeah. coaches. Yep. Everything. Yep. What you look like, what you're doing physically. Yeah. <laughs> so, every second yeah. when you're training that much. So it's understandable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, don't worry what people think. No. <laughs> Easier said than done. <laughs> you are, you, it's a powerful message and you've spread a powerful message with your business, with Ash. Um, thank you for everything that you're doing and thank you so much for sharing your story with On Her Game. Thank you so much for having me. It's yeah, been a real honour. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer, Lindsay Green, audio producer, Nikki Sitch, executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. This episode was created in partnership with Puma, the Fearless podcast series. To stay up to date with their incredible female sporting icons, follow at PumaAU on Instagram. And remember, stay fearless.